Zilch 134, a celebration of Peter Tork, part two. One, two, one, two, three. Welcome back to Zilch. I'm Ken Mills, your host here today. Today, we're celebrating the life of Peter Tork. Today, you'll hear from Peter Tork, be it through interviews or his music, whether with the Monkees as a solo artist or with Shoe Suede Blues. We all share in our love of him. My name is Peter Tork. I was born in Washington, D.C. in 1942. I used to belong to the Monkees, and I'm a raconteur and a musician and a bon vivant and a man about town. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think there is such a thing as perfect happiness. You muddle along and you get a little happier as the Drekwa, you know what I mean? I'm pretty happy right now. I would say my greatest fear was cosmological disintegration and excruciating agony. Nothing much, I don't fear very much. The characteristic I most dislike in myself is my lack of concentration. Some have called me ADD, my sister thinks I have ADD, and uh, by the way, you want to go riding on a bike? Uh, the characteristic I have the most trouble with in other people is... Uh, abusiveness, loud abusiveness. That one stops me cold. I don't know how to cope with that. What am I excessive about? Sudoku. I'm, I'm excessive about Sudoku. I'll get over that one of these days. I think the most overrated virtue, generally speaking in the population, the most overrated virtue is piety. Displays of piety. People go on, look how pious I am, and I think that that's, I, that's not only overrated, but dangerous, really. The most satisfaction in life every day comes from being useful. I've been working really hard, gaining a lot of understanding, and when somebody else can use it, I'm, I'm a happy camper. That's besides the music, of course. That's all beside them, which is where it all comes from to begin with. The crime of the century 
just been sold tonight here in the shelter of my arms I will make it right Ooh, the long march is beginning and the river shows the way have happened stranger things than you can imagine stranger things have happened stranger things than love stranger things have happened stranger things than you can imagine stranger things have happened stranger things and love first up Anne Marie Moses from Tiger Beat CNN asked her to write a piece about passing of Peter Tork and she graciously came on to talk about Peter and her memories of him take it away Anne Ann Moses. I was the editor of Tiger Beat and Monkey Spectacular magazine back in the 60s. And when Peter Tork passed most recently, CNN.com asked for my thoughts. And this is what I wrote. Why don't you drop acid with me? Peter Tork asked me for what felt like the hundredth time. It was September of 1966. I was 19 years old and held the enviable position of editor of Tiger Beat magazine, the teen idol Bible back then. I had many interviews with the affable and sincere young Peter Tork, five years my senior, who was the bass player for the TV pop group, The Monkees. And in every one, he would respectfully answer my questions, sign his autograph a dozen times for us to superimpose over his color pinups for his droves of adoring fans and then politely try to treat me like one of the gang by encouraging me to come to his house and try LSD. What can I say? It was the 60s. Peter said, don't worry, I'll be there with you. I promise you'll have a good trip. I was afraid to try, in any case, and always declined. Peter Tork was not your typical teen idol. He was a musician first and a genuine peace and love hippie the rest of the time. When Peter Tork passed, the world lost a kind, talented man who stumbled young into his moment of fame as one of the monkeys. A group manufactured to mirror the success of the Beatles, TV land style. Before he was a monkey, Peter had been playing his banjo in Greenwich Village clubs and had made his way out to California to join the folk scene. Then he, reluctantly, he later recalled, went to an open audition call by Raybert Productions, which was producers Bob Rafelson and Bert Schneider for, quote, four insane boys ages 17 to 21, folk and rock musicians, unquote. The Monkees. Nicknamed the Prefab Four, as in fabricated, not fabulous, 
As soon as they came on the scene, the monkeys were aimed directly at teeny boppers who could watch their ersatz beetles every week on NBC TV in their family living room. The show's premise? The monkey characters were a struggling band searching for success, living in a quirky boho house in Malibu, like real struggling musicians could afford a Malibu pad. Tork played the pleasantly dazed and confused monkey, and for a few years they were insanely popular. It was called Monkey Mania. Their instant fans would flock to drugstores, clamoring to read all about the cute young men who graced the covers and many pages of Tiger Beat 16 and Fave and to follow their goofy antics. They were the dream team for the merchandising monsters. Their pinups were plastered all over girls' and boys' bedroom walls. And young fans bought monkey records in chart-topping numbers and flocked to their concerts. There were monkey lunchboxes, monkey shoes from Tom McCann, and monkey love beats from Tiger Beat. Even Tiger Beat franchised the four boys for their monthly columns and access to the stars. None of those young men realized what they were in for. Becoming a TV comedic actor was a new and thrilling career for Peter. Did he enjoy the music making? Well, the monkeys struggled with their record producers to find a compromise between the bubblegum music demanded by Schneider and Rafelson, and usually played by studio musicians, and the music Peter and Mike, the two monkeys who came into the group as actual musicians, were creating that original but too new agey for the old producers. The fans didn't care. While serious music publications railed against the Prefab Four, saying they couldn't play their instruments and didn't on their recordings, an assertion that would be proved wrong, fans turned out en masse as the band toured the U.S., then the world. As editor of Tiger Beat, I spent many of my weekdays of 1966 and 1967 on the Monkey set and even traveled with them to concerts in San Francisco in 67, saw them at the Hollywood Bowl in June 67, and traveled along with them again to their Dallas and Houston concerts in August 67. Audiences never questioned their music ability, whether they had written the songs or whether they were playing their instruments on stage. They were. They were instantly caught up in the monkeys' irresistible performances. And now let us take you down the memory lane of music to the year 1966 and the one that started it all.
again. I know it's hard to believe. It is for me too. Hi, I'm going to I'm going to do a square dance tune which which Hey, that's not so exciting for crying out loud. Calm down. Uh, I want to do a square dance tune, which you don't get to do. Hey, listen, I'm sorry you're so far away. Um, you, can, you can stomp your hands and clap your feet. <laughs> I made a wife in the month of June, married her up 
by the light of the moon. We live down on Cripple Creek. We've been down there about a week. Come on, going down to Cripple Creek. Going down to run. Going down to Cripple Creek to have some fun. Going down to Cripple Creek. Going down to run. Going down to Cripple Creek to have some fun. Cripple Creek girls are about half grown. Jump on a man like a dog on a bone. Roll my bands up to my knees. Cross old Cripple Creek when I please. I'm a going down to Cripple Creek. I'm going on a run. Going down to Cripple Creek to have some fun. Going down to Cripple Creek. I'm going on a run. Going down to Cripple Creek to have some fun. You're such a lovely audience. We'd love to take you home with us. We'd love to take you home. I don't really want to stop the show, but I thought you might like to know that the singer's going to sing a song. Concerts were one of the few areas where Peter Tork and the other monkeys got to have their say. After Peter and producer Bob Rafelson were inspired by the video tricks they had seen other bands use at the Fillmore in San Francisco, the monkeys made their political statement by including shows with scenes from the civil rights movement on huge black and white screens behind them as they performed. In their monkey hearts, they wanted desperately to be taken seriously. Since they were not receiving the monetary rewards equal to their contributions, common in Hollywood and the music industry that profited handsomely from underpaid young entertainers, they wanted to make a statement. They longed for respect from the music establishment.
The Monkees would split up in 1968, two years after they started, and Peter went on to form his own group, Release. I visited his new house in Studio City that year, and he took me on a tour of the place. Peter, who along with his friends was naked, advised me, our house is clothing optional, so you're welcome to take your clothes off if you like. Did I mention it was the 60s? I think I muttered, I'm fine, as I focused on the kidney-shaped swimming pool, the food he served, I referred to it as health food in my story, and what the furniture looked like, thrift store bargains. It sounds odd today, and God knows I've had my Me Too moments, but this was not one of them. It was the times, and Peter was just that casual and hippie-ish all the time. One of my favorite exchanges with Peter was in an interview titled, at his suggestion, and Moses exchanges frank confusion with Peter Tork from Monkey Spectacular magazine in 1968. My final question that day was, what do you have so much of you could afford to give some away? He replied, the only thing there is so much more of to give away, which is, I asked, and his answer the power of love. His sincerity was true Peter. He never lived a rock star lifestyle. He always smiled the brightest on the stage. That is his legacy. After his monkey days, Peter would struggle with alcoholism until he got clean in the 1980s. When the monkeys appeared near my home in 2013, I was delighted that Peter agreed to a mini reunion. And sidebar, Thank you, Andrew Sandoval, for making it happen. We talked for an hour before the show about life, both then and now. He proudly introduced me to his fiance and talked about an upcoming wedding for one of his children. I asked Peter, do you remember how you used to encourage me to try LSD and how I always said no? His response was not surprising. Annie, you didn't miss a thing. He appeared to me to be in such a peaceful state of mind when looking back upon his life. I came out of our conversation that day understanding that Peter didn't have regrets about the roller coaster ride of his life. He seemed fulfilled and happy to be making music with his group, Shoe Suede Blues, and preserving his family home in Connecticut with his loved ones close by. There was nothing prefab about his life.
myself after I had written this piece and I read it when it was published on CNN.com and I thought I didn't emphasize enough what a kind person he was. I know I used the word kind in one line, but I think that was probably one of his greatest qualities. I don't believe certainly never around me, that he ever said a mean word about another person. And I think that's how he lived his whole life. I really felt like I was blessed to have known him. And his kindness to me is something that I'll carry with me the rest of my life. He was just such a beautiful soul and it, it is our treasure how he could make us smile and think happy thoughts. He just, he was an extraordinary individual and he will be missed. Love you, Peter. Rest in peace, my dear. As the years have rolled by, I've come to appreciate it. I think fairly, it wasn't the Beatles, but there was a very important aspect to that whole time in the movement. And the Monkees TV show brought it through television and to those who otherwise might not have heard it. And it was this, it was a, a time that might've been thought of as anarchic. But the reason for that was that there was no authority worth paying attention to. Johnson and Nixon were the presidents, and, and they were bogus. They were absolutely without moral authority, and we were thrown on our own. The characters on that situation comedy were without authority, without adult figure. We did it ourselves because we had to, because you couldn't count on Johnson and Nixon. Echoes of the present age. 
I'd never experienced a fork in the road until my 40s. When I first started off, I remember being an entertainer at four. I remember being self-aware as an entertainer at four. I didn't actually think that I was going to be an entertainer. I just became one through the course of the events. I was in Greenwich Village and they were playing on the coffee houses and I picked up my banjo and went and played. And that was all I knew. I didn't have any sense of, I'll be an entertainer. I'll play music. I just did it. And I thought that I was letting my life lead me on. Finally, when I was 40, I went, I could make a choice and become dedicated. I didn't become dedicated till then. A lot of entertainers will tell you that. It didn't become dedicated till much later. Coming up is Tyrone Bilgen, a very talented man who does some amazing stuff with some amazing instruments, and he simply just wanted to sing Shades of Grey in honor of Peter Tork. Take it away, Tyrone. When the world and I were young, just yesterday. such a simple game a child could play it was easy then to tell right from wrong easy then to tell weak from strong when a man should stand and fight or just go Today there is no day 
today there is no dark or light. Today there is no black or white. Only shades of gray. I remember when the answers seemed so tasted fear. It was as easy then to tell truth from lies, sad from compromise. Who to love and who to hate, foolish from the wise. But today Besides Pete Seeger, there's not too many that I admire a great deal. I don't think any I admire as much as him. Because as a musician, he swung, and as a social person, he stood up. One, zwei, vier, sieben.
Up next is Jessica Samick from the Wool Hat Club. Wool Hat Club is a collaboration channel on YouTube that makes some really cool videos and Peter Torque was touched by them. Peter was shown by the Wool Hat Club that his legacy will continue to go on, that there will be people that will find him and his message. I think Peter took great joy in that. Upon hearing the news of the passing of Peter Torque, there were a few phases each of us went through. At first, we were all very confused. When we found out this was true, it was shocking. Then there was a wave of sadness that hit us, and then we had to accept the fact that he was gone. This is Jessica Samick from the Wool Hat Club, a monkeys collaboration channel on YouTube. I am here speaking on behalf of the channel to tell you all what Peter Halson Torkelson meant to us. To us, he was more than the dummy on the television screen. If we could each describe him using only one word, Lucy would describe him to be iconic. Ellen describes him as angelic. Alex would describe him as marvelous. Mick would describe him as true. Lily would describe our Peter as intelligent. And I would describe him as an individualist. There are too many words to describe Peter, but those were the words that first came to our brains when we think about him. Peter Tork meant a great deal to everyone on the channel, whether it was his lovable character on the television screen on The Monkees, or a surprise appearance on a popular television show. For example, him trying to win the monkey mobile at an auction. <laughs> and besides, I love the monkeys. I'm just a huge fan of theirs. $10,000. If that jerk would stop bidding against me, the car would be mine. 11000 Well, honey, that jerk happens to be Peter Tork. Yeah, who's he? I have $11,000. Do I hear twelve? $12,000. I'm really sorry about my wife. I don't know what's gotten into her. <laughs> I used to have a monkey's lunchbox. <laughs> Big deal. We got squat from those things. $14,000. $15,000. Um, this car means a lot to me. What could it possibly mean to you? This car represents a very special time in my life. I've wanted to own it for a long, long time. And now with a few smart business deals and a pizza commercial, I have the extra cash to buy it. <laughs> Please, won't you let me have it? Oh, for God's sake, honey, let the man have his monkey mobile. <laughs> I don't think so. $20,000. $24,000. Hey, thanks for letting me have the monkey mobile. Sure. Enjoy it. I just hope you're as big a fan as I am. Peter will always be remembered and held near and dear in our hearts, along with what a wonderful man he was. We each have our own memories of Peter, all very positive. One iconic memory from Alex was when Peter walked over to her during a Monkees concert and shoved a microphone to her face to have her seen Daydream Believer with the band. We were all pretty jealous to hear this, but we were all very happy for her that she has his memory. As a musician, Peter was the real deal, as Mick would describe him. He was willing to throw himself into everything. Any song he was needed on, he'd figure out some way to make it more special. One key example being the harpsichord work on The Girl I Knew Somewhere. There 
He did everything he possibly could to the best of his ability. From him teaching Mickey how to play the drums, to backing up the other guys in the best possible way, his musical contributions to the band is considered to us one of the most iconic parts of the Monkees. We find Peter to be extraordinary, and we know we will never have another human being on this earth like Peter. His music had the ability to help us through trials. When any of us are sad, we would put on one of his songs and instantly feel like he was comforting us, telling us everything is okay. We look at him as an inspiration, feeling the need to become better people and spread his message of peace and love. To us, he meant life, peace, and comfort. Peter showed us the value of friendship, bringing the members of the channel closer together, almost like a family. He showed us that we can change ourselves after going down a rough path and try to live the best lives we can once we overcome our trials. One final message that will forever be engraved in our brains is one certain line in his 1967 song, For Pete's Sake. And this is a line we always spread to keep his legacy going. We were born to love one another. As hard as it is to say goodbye to our heroes, we want to leave it at this. From us at the Woolhat Club, we want to say thank you, Peter Halston Torkelson, for bringing so much joy into our lives. We will never forget you or your contributions you have made in popular culture in the last five decades. Thank you for being yourself and teaching us to do the same. We love and miss you.
particular rewards I would like you know Oscars and Grammys and Emmys those things are fine but I'm not playing the games and you can't win if you don't play so I don't know about anything maybe a Grammy if the record was really fabulous and went places but that's just incidental the real rewards are just to, to be able to play music that's that's it just allow me to play music in front of some people that might enjoy it and I'm a happy camper that's all I ever needed if I had any other careers, I was thinking of law at one point, and I thought psychotherapy, thought I might be good at that, because I've worked so hard on my own sanity. <laughs> I can't imagine even ditch digging. I mean, handling a backhoe, that'd be pretty cool. I can't think of anything I wouldn't like to do, particularly. You know, if you told me that was my gig, and that, you know, make a decent living and have a family as well at it, I can't think of anything that I really wouldn't want to do particularly. Here's longtime Monkeys keyboardist David Alexander talking about a funny moment that he and Peter and the rest of the gang shared. My memories of Peter Tork. Oh my goodness. I realized I left out um, another of a very funny Peter Tork story. <laughs> um, one of my favorites, one that he he just broke down laughing because of something I did. And what I did was, okay, so we were traveling around one summer and um, the monkeys started to do the song Let's Dance On in concert. So I'm listen, learning the song. And, you know, I, I realized it had a keyboard solo in it, but it took me a couple of listens to realize that the keyboard that was used for the solo is a thing called a melodica. It's this um, kind of two, it's a keyboard with a, a port that you can blow into to play. Anyway, that's the melodica and it's a wicked cool instrument because it's small, portable, it's kind of loud. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It's like 18 inches, it doesn't weigh more than two pounds so it's really easy to carry through the airports anyway so we're traveling through this airport where we had a tight connection time and i'm a guy that likes to walk through the airports rather quickly but there happens to be one of those guys that drives the cart around the airport to get you to the next gate and in the cart was peter and coco and um gee i can't remember who else but uh i like i sat uh, in the front seat and because uh, Peter invited me to come along. So we're driving through the airport and the driver had, or the cart, the cart had no horn on it or bell or anything. So the driver was making these audible beeping sounds because, you know, when you're driving and there's people like blocking the way, in an airport there's usually, you know, beeping, but the guy was like, 
beep, 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 beep. That's what he was doing. And it was making Peter kind of chuckle. So I thought about it for a second. I reached into my melodica bag and I took out my melodica and started going for the guy. So he didn't have to do it. And Peter was just, he dropped dead laughing. He, he was like, try a minor second. I'm like, okay. I'm like, yeah, that's a little too harsh. Let's stick with the. <laughs> so here we are driving from gate to gate in an airport with me doing the beeping sounds on my melodica and Peter doubling over in laughter. He actually told the story on stage a couple of times. <laughs> I love you, Peter, so much. And, uh, ah, man, I miss him. get a kick out of how childlike Peter could be at times. Thank you, Dave, for that clip. Up next is Al Bigley and Al Williams from the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Podcast with their thoughts on Peter Tork. This is Al and Alan from the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys Podcast. Ken Mills honored us by asking us to uh, say a few things about Peter. So what I want to say here is just a brief bit about Peter. I saw a great quote pop up this week. Peter said, quote, I'll tell you a secret. The secret is to play within yourself. If you know only four or five notes, play those notes with conviction. As a creative person, I can relate to what Peter's saying there. And, you know, Peter was kind of like the monkey that, you know, was kind of pushed to the side. He quit, of course, while the guy still went on. And he never really got his due for his musical contribution. So here he is coming to peace with the fact that you know, he may have preferred something else in life, but he got to be one of the monkeys, and he's going to be always be known for being one of the monkeys. And you know what? There's not anything really wrong for that, wrong with that. And, you know, he came to peace with his place, being recognized as a musician, being recognized as an artist, and not only coming to peace with it, but learning to have fun with it, which every artist has to do. You shoot for one arena... And again, I'm talking about whether you're a visual artist, a singer, a musician, a dancer. All your life you're shooting for this one arena, and you end up in the arena way over to the right. And there comes a time when you've got to say, you know what, that's not bad. If that's what I'm known for, if that's what I'm going to be doing, so be it. Let's have fun with it. A lot of artists, sadly, never come to that point. And they struggle with their identity, and they struggle with woulda, coulda, shoulda, and it eats you up. But this great quote makes it sound like Peter found that peace inside himself and learn just to go with it, have fun, and contribute as an artist. And there's no better place an artist can find, and there's no better place an artist can reach than that place. 
Well spoken, pal of mine, well spoken. You know, um, as I stated in our podcast, this one hit me a little bit harder than David because I didn't really have that much interaction with him. But looking back over what's happened since he passed on last Thursday, it's been amazing to me. People will talk about the monkeys, those fakes, this, that, and the other. Still, after all these years, Jan Winter. Um, but the outpouring, people like Paul Stanley, people who, all, all, the, all his peers, you know, respect the, you know, the fact of what they did and the fact, when you think about it, the monkeys outside of maybe Paul and Ringo and the Rolling Stones are the only entities left from the 60s that were still relevant, if you will, even though the Stones are not as relevant as they used to be. Paul and Ringo still are, but when you're talking about 53 years after a two-year television show came and went, you know, it's it's pretty amazing, and, and the outpouring from all his peers just kind of, you know, maybe being a Monkees fan ain't so damn bad after all. Don't forget so. Don't forget Mark. Oh yes, indeed, Mark Hamill. That was that was the one, the real cool one. But Luke Skywalker himself. That's right. But you know, here's a guy that was typecast. He, to me, I, I've I've realized, and this is no disrespect to David and Mickey, who are classically trained actors. Peter was the best actor on the show. Not only was he the most gifted uh, talent-wise, as far and the most versatile, but you, you talk about a guy who was playing who's ty- or playing against himself. And we talked, I always wondered if Treva Silverman had been able to write at least one episode, or at least a, a rough draft of an episode, where she did what she wanted to do, and that was cast Peter as the genius. Where he just conked on the head or something. Yeah. And don't, you, you'd love to be able to see that, but you know, he made peace with his being a monkey. And even though he was the hippie of the bunch, you look at all the, you look at all the trials and tribulations that he went through. But he came out ahead of it. I mean, he came out, you know, he, the, the bit in Texas, you know, never te- having to go to a, uh, to careers completely out of the music industry while Michael, David, and Mickey were all performing in some, some sort of way, making a living. But he came back and embraced it in 86 because he was making a boatload of money. But he was always the funny one. He was always the guy that, would take a negative situation and you know have fun with it. You, he's the one. The one picture that pops up is the one where Mickey and David are talking to somebody, and Peter's looking at the camera and going. He gives that funny look, like a like a pug tilting its head. His harpo. His harpo. But the fact that these guys have all the respects from their musical peers after all this time, and the fact that he was such a gentle soul. Yeah, he had his demons. Yeah, he had his problems. And all you have to do is. I was reading this morning, he was talking about the 2001 tour. He just had a meltdown. But he survived cancer. He gave us one last opportunity to hang out with him. And I will always cherish the memories of Louisville. And if you wanted to hear about that, go check out episode 22 of the Texas Perry Chicken Home Companion blog. But I will miss his humor. I will miss his... And the other thing about it was, Al... He was such a learned man, a well-versed, and, and could talk about virtually anything. Even all the guys were. 
if you look at Nez's book, you look at Mickey being a, a, a science nerd. Mickey Dolan's the science guy. But Peter was so well-versed on everything. And, uh, you know, I will miss being able to be just, a, as you said, he's just a regular guy. You know, David was a regular guy, but he was Davy Jones. And Mickey, well, Mickey's a regular guy, but he's Mickey effing Dolan's. Nez is Nez. <laughs> but Peter was always, to me, he almost seemed like he was the most accessible of the guys because he always put him out there. You talked about him schlepping all his, his merchandise to the thing, and the, the saddest thing is seeing this washed up, his washed up uh, 60s musical band having to schlep all the unsold merchandise back to his car. But, but I will miss his music. I will miss the two-man band stuff with James Lee Stanley. I will miss the SSB stuff, and I will miss the monkey stuff more than anything because Peter was one of a kind, and I'm glad I got the chance to meet him multiple times, shake his hand, and have conversations with him that really meant something. Let's cherish and celebrate the memories that Peter left us. Rest in peace, Peter. We love you, and thank you. All right, let's wrap this up with one more quote from Peter. Lots of quotes have been surfacing. Uh, Hopefully this will stir your soul and give you lots to think about. Hopefully this will be food for the mind and soul. Rest in peace, Peter. Thank you, Ken, once again. The universe is permeated with the odor of turpentine. I think right now, my most treasured possession is my house. I recently moved into the house my parents moved us to when I was 13. It's a pre-revolutionary war colonial house in Connecticut, and it is really something to behold. What challenges me the most? Right now, it's actually the onslaught of the years. That is proving to be a big deal. As Betty Davis said, accruing the years is not for sissies. This one's a bear. Uh, The lowest depth of despair is the conviction that I'm all alone, that there is no help. There's no help, no hope. That's it. Boy, that that just about put me away when I was 13. If you're asking me what talents I would like to have some of, there are any number of talents, you know, tact. I'd love to have tact for a talent. That would be really great. Consistency. Uh, There's a lot of things that I slip and slide around on, but for the most part, I kind of like the hand I got dealt. Up next is Dr. Roseanne Welsh with her thoughts on Peter Tork. Recent events in my real world made me think more deeply about the obligation the Elder Mike and Mickey have taken on in this tour to memorialize and pay tribute to the two friends they met as teens. I was listening to I Wasn't Born to Follow on my drive to and from a local hospital, and I had my own thoughts about how life is made up of moments, and how Peter had his share of both good and bad ones over his happily long life. Then I thought about how, by inventing zilch, Ken and his crew, who were all here long before I hopped on board for Monkeys 101, they were all part of making Peter's later life a time when he came to understand that he had touched so, so many lives, that his life was one of great value. And finally, from an artistic standpoint, listening to good times in my car over and over, I realized that Wasn't Born to Follow had made Peter the folk singer he originally hoped to be. To know you had achieved your dreams despite the difficulties along the way is my definition of success. 
I'm happy for all the times I saw Peter in concert during his funny dance and playing all those marvelous instruments. The high energy of the banjo seemed to completely capture the soul he so willingly put on display for us for so many years. And I know I will miss him, as we all will. I'll leave on the line I used in my book that came from my teenage son, Joseph, who became my monkey's concert seatmate and found he enjoyed their music and energy immensely, thereby bringing fandom into the millennial generation of my family. At his first monkey's concert, he learned yet another lesson from Peter. He said to me, I hope I can find a job someday that I like so much that I'll still be doing it when I'm his age. Thanks for that moment and so many others. Goodbye, Mr. Torque. Oh, I'd rather go and journey where the diamond crescent's flowing and run across the valley sacred mountain and wander through the forest where the trees have leaves of prisons that break the light up into colors that no one knows the names of and when it's time I'll go and wait beside the legendary fountain till I see your form reflected Sherry Hansen is a good friend to all of us here at Zilch, and she's one of the best photographers the monkeys ever had. She's a fantastic person. Peter Tork would always cut up whenever he realized that Sherry was taking pictures of him, whether he was getting a bouquet and then chewing it up, or sticking his tongue out, or just having fun. He always liked to interplay with Sherry and her camera. Take it away, Sherry. Thank you. 
Once upon a time, there was a young girl. She had many challenges trying to be happy amidst the chaos in her life. Then she found some amazing music that somehow made everything right. When she was sad, it uplifted her. When she was mad, it calmed her. When she was alone, it was there for her. When no one understood, it provided understanding. When she felt unloved, it provided love. When she needed to escape, it transported her. She was able to see the people who made the music, but wished that she could meet those who created it. She didn't give up. It was a long journey taking decades, but along the way, she, now a woman, finally did meet the four musicians. Throughout her life, she loved them all, but she especially felt a special connection with one of them, Peter, that was different than with the others. She held deep gratitude to each of them and wished that there was a way she could give something back to them. She decided to make one of her life's missions to find a way to do that. She had taken photos for many years, capturing moments, but decided she would now do so in a way that would preserve the memories and emotions as best she could for others to enjoy and remember. She felt, however, that nothing she could do would ever be enough. Through the years, she was blessed with countless moments, magic memories, and her love never faltered. Her photos are her storybook, and her heart is full. I wrote that in a birthday wish for Peter, just days before he passed. I was fortunate that my 12-year-old dreams became reality. I've had the opportunity to photograph the monkeys through the years, and especially been able to photograph Peter. I've had the honor of him and Pam wanting to use my photos for promotional purposes, including on his last release, Relax Your Mind. I could say a hundred things about him, or nothing, because how does one put into simple words the impact that another has had on your life? It's difficult to choose one favorite memory, because there are countless. However, there is one that is extra special. I hadn't seen or talked to Peter for two years, I walked into the photography room at the convention in 2014 for a photo with Mickey, Peter, and Nez. When Peter saw me, he rushed to embrace me, and he wouldn't let go. In fact, the embrace was so long that Nez and Mickey actually had to try to break us apart. After we took the photo, he again hugged me tightly. He said, I'm so happy to see you again. I couldn't believe that he remembered me. For those of you who have received one of Peter's hugs, you know that I walked away that day, the recipient of one of the most genuine loving hugs I've ever received in my life. And while I thought there was no way he could remember me, he did. Peter loved music and he loved his fans. It's easy to forget how much Peter sacrificed personal and family time to do tours and meet and greets. 
time sacrifice to make fans happy. I remember being in attendance at the Bay City, Michigan show in 2012. I swear that every person who attended that show was in the meet and greet line that spanned the entire length of the block and around the corner. I was at the end of the line, and Peter indeed was tired by then, but it didn't matter. He signed for every single person, or took a photo, or of course, gave an infamous hug. Peter was generous with his time and with his love. That's something that everyone needs to remember. That is his legacy to us. That's how generous he was. He also loved us so much that while he wasn't well, he got himself out of the house just to record Angels We Have Heard on High. Angels we have heard on high Sweetly singing o'er the plains And the mountains in reply Echoing their joyous strains Some of the things I know that we will all miss and remember with a smile are the times where he was goofy on stage, the catchphrases that he did at the shows that we each could repeat in time with him, watching him move from one instrument to another on stage with ease, seeing the pure joy on his face while performing. I know those are the things that I'm going to miss. Shortly after he passed, I remember I was talking to my husband and I was upset about something. I was upset with someone, actually. As I was expressing my feelings, all of a sudden I stopped. And suddenly I said to him, I know what Peter would say. I know Peter would say that I need to forgive and I need to have compassion. And then it dawned on me that knowing Peter really had changed me. And even though I can be caught up in something, suddenly there he is. And that's another way that he will live on in us. In closing, sometime when you have some free time, I'd like you to sit down and listen to Come and Sit Down Beside Me, which is on his last CD, Relax Your Mind. Put it on and close your eyes, and I can see and hear him sing that song and believe that he's singing it to all of us. Come and sit down beside me let me hold your hand and soul I got something to tell you Baby, that you wanna know
On the recent Monkeys tour, there is a moment where Peter Tork is remembered. Andrew Sandoval wisely chose to put Peter singing till then live from the Crawdaddy recordings that can be found on YouTube. It was a very special moment for all of us to share, and we want to thank Andrew Sandoval for putting that together. Till then. My darling, please wait for me Till then No matter when it will be Till then When I can hold you again Please wait Till then Our dreams will live though we are apart Our love I know we'll keep in our heart Till then When all the world will be free Please wait for me I know there are oceans we must cross And mountains we must climb I know every gain must have its loss so pray that our loss is nothing but time Till then we'll call on each memory Till then no matter when it will be Till then when I can hold you again Please wait till then We must cross And mountains We must climb I know Every gain must have its loss So pray that our loss Is nothing but time Till then We'll call on each memory Till then No matter when it will be Till then, when I can hold you again, please wait. Till then, please wait. Till then. Up next is Tom O'Keefe. He is a good friend to all of us here at Zilch. And Tom shares some of the same feelings that we have here at Zilch. And thank you for throwing the best party, sir.
I'm Tom O'Keefe, and I worked with Peter Tork professionally uh, with Shoe Suede Blues, and then I actually booked the Monkees to the Family Arena in St. Charles, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis. And the first time I met Peter Tork was before I was actually working in the industry. It would have been, I believe, around 89 or 90, and they were playing Six Flags over Mid-America. And uh, I went to see the show with a buddy of mine and got wind of the fact that they were staying at a, a hotel that was actually right by my house. And so I went to, uh, so we went back to that hotel and just kind of hung out in the lobby. And, uh, and so Mickey kind of snuck in, went straight in the elevator and like nobody got to talk to him. I saw Davey in the lobby and he signed my program. And then, uh, everybody's surrounding Davey, of course, right? Cause he's Davey. And we look over and we see Peter Torque walks into the lobby and he's like going through a duffel bag right by the front desk. And so I walked over to him and I was like, uh, excuse me, Mr. Torque. And he looks up at me and he says, can't you see I'm looking for something? <laughs> and and I was like, oh, geez, I'm I'm sorry. I'm like, I, I just want an autograph. Didn't mean to bug you. And uh, and I start and I kind of take a step back and uh, and he stops and he looks at me. and He goes, you know, I, I'm sorry. He's like, I was I'm looking for something that's really important to me and I can't find it. And it's really upsetting to me. And if you just stand there for a second, like and, and let me do this, I'll, I'll I'll sign whatever you want. And I'm like, OK. So I stand there and he goes through his bag for another, you know, two or three minutes. And then uh, and then he stands up and uh, and then he promptly walks out the front of the, the hotel back towards the bus. And I'm standing there like, well, son of a. And then, like, I see him out the door and it's like and he stops and he like I can see it clicks for him and he turns back around and he's still like you could tell he's like perturbed, but he's trying to be nice, you know, and he and he comes back in. And he's like, and he kind of puts his hands out like, give me the thing. So I give him the program and the pen, and he goes to sign it, and my my pen doesn't work. And he looks at me like he wants to kill me. And I was like, dude, it's not even my pen. And, and then he just started laughing, and he's like, okay, come on, let's go find a pen. And then we walk over to the front desk, and he and he, the, the concierge gives us a pen, and he signs the program and, and goes on his way. So I just thought that was funny. Like, just like he was, like, he was clearly in a really bad mood and was trying so hard to not be mean, even though he had no patience for it at the moment. So I just thought that, and I was, I was nobody to him, right? I was just some kid in the lobby. So uh, fast forward to, I guess, like 2001. Two-ish, and I'm working at a little concert club in Illinois, just over the river uh, from St. Louis. And we get somebody asking if we want to book Shoe Suede Blues. And at that point, I'm booking a lot of concerts, and and I kind of like help make the deals. And and I get that, and I immediately hand the request to my boss, and because I'm like, I can't broker this deal because I'm like, I'm too close to to this. Like I I don't know what its worth is because I'm a big fan and I have zero objectivity, right? So my boss who who at that point really wasn't making the deals anymore took it over and made the deal and then uh so then we we confirmed the show and so I reached out to their camp and I said, "Hey, if Peter wants to come in town early, I'll set up a press run for him and we can go around and we can hit all these different media outlets in town because like he's going to be an easy sell. Like he's he was on a hit TV show and the monkeys were huge and people loved to talk to them and about them and like this isn't going to be a hard sell if he can give me the time right and so 
they were like, yeah. And I was like, we'll cover the extra cost of the hotel room for when he needs to be in town. Like, and, and I'll, you know, it'll be great. And so they agreed to it. So he flies in town early. He shows up on a Monday. I pick him up from the airport. And it's funny because, like, I've, like, I, before I was doing concert promotions, I worked in radio. So, like, I've met a lot of famous people. And I've met people that I know are, are, are more famous than Peter Tork. But, like, for me, I was like, the Monkees were my band ever since I was a little kid, and I've always loved them and loved them through high school, even before the MTV resurgence. And and all and my friends would give me oh, just a world of crap about it. And so, it was my job to go pick them up from the airport. And so I picked him up from the airport, and it's just me and him. And we go and we get his luggage and pick up his guitar, and and we're we're walking to the car, and he like wants to stop and and get a drink, and and I'm not really saying much, and he's like, well, you're you're a chatty one. And I was like, so here's the deal. I'm like, I'm a huge monkeys fan. And I'm like, they're, you're like my favorite band in the world. And like literally like two weeks ago, I was doing a Bruce Willis concert and hanging out with Bruce Willis. And like, I'm more intimidated to meet you than I was him. And he just started laughing. And he's like, uh, he's like, so you must have a bunch of questions. And I was like, Oh, I have so many questions. You have no idea. And he was like, okay. He's like, well, he's like, are you the guy driving me around for the next three days? And I was like, yep. And he was like, well, let's hear him. He's like, we're going to be in a car for three days, so you might as well just get it out of your system. Then for like the next hour, I just peppered him with questions, just everything I ever wanted to know. And he couldn't have been more gracious and patient and answered all my questions. I'm sure many of which he'd answered hundreds, if not thousands of times. So we did all that. I take him back to the hotel because the the press stuff was going to start the next day. I take him back to the hotel. It's about 2 o'clock. I drive back to my office, and not 20 minutes later, my phone rings, and it's Peter. And he's like, uh, he goes, okay, so we have a situation. And I was like, oh, dear, what's the situation? And, uh, and he said, so I just uh, had a crown put in like three days ago. And I just bit into like just a whole bunch of nothing, like a like a sandwich or something. And I bent it and I really need to have it taken care of. And I have no idea where to go. Do you know a dentist? And uh, and I was like, I I do know a dentist. And I'm like, let me let me call my dentist. And, I you know, I've been going there my entire life. My mom has gone there for like 20 years before that. I'm like, let me give him a call. So I call my dentist and I'm like, hey. I got Peter Twerk. He bent a crown. Can you get him in? It's like now it's like Monday at four o'clock and the dentist is like, oh, my God, Peter Tork, Absolutely. We'll we'll stay open as late as we need to. Like, get, just get him here as quickly as you can. So I run over and I picked him up and we ran over there. And, and what's funny is the dentist that I go to, like the guy's a dentist and his sister's a dentist and their dad was a dentist. It's, it was a house that they turned into a dentist office and they've been in this place since the 40s and it looks it. I mean, you walk in and it's like this is where like Norman Rockwell got his fillings done right it's so old so we walk in and i'm bracing peter for it i'm like okay look i'm just gonna brace you like this dentist's office looks ridiculously old but they're really good i'm like my mom goes there my grandma goes there i go there i take my kids there but just don't freak out when the equipment's really old and we walk in and like his jaw drops and he's just like where are you taking me and so they fix his crown and he's super happy with it and they he goes to to pay at the end and they're like and you could tell he's so used to being on the coasts you know because he's like okay how much is that i'll i'll write a check and then i'll just get my insurance company reimburse me and they're like uh it's uh 40 and he's like 
dollars? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And he's like, okay. He's like, holy crap. He's like, dentists are practically free here. And he was so amazed with the price. So, um, but anyway, so, and then after that, like we were like, I, I, you know, I think he was very pleased and happy that I found someone that could fix that so quickly for him. It was kind of like pulling a, uh, pulling a thorn out of a lion's paw. Like after that, we were, we got along very well and we spent the next three days just driving from station to station and hanging out. And what was really cool is after I ran out of my monkeys questions, we were just two dudes hanging out. Right. And, uh, and, and it was really cool to like be able to have that sort of relationship and conversations where it was no longer Peter Tork from the monkeys. It was just Peter. And, we could walk around town, and to me, I'm like, dude, we're walking around with Peter Tork, and nobody is noticing him. Like, I, I was stunned. Like, we actually, at one point, we went, and uh, I'm like, oh, where do you want to have dinner? And he's like, oh, let's go to that Hard Rock Cafe. And I was like, aren't you worried that if we go to the Hard Rock Cafe, like, that's, I mean, people are there, they're thinking about music, you know, so, like, it's, you know, and uh, and he's like, nah, he's like, it'll be fine. And he's like, if it is, and he's like, he goes like we can ask the managers and they'll they'll move us somewhere where people can't get to us. He goes, but it won't be an issue. And like we walked in, nobody, nobody said a word, nobody batted an eye, nobody noticed. <laughs> it was just like two guys having dinner. I just was like, it just mystified me, especially because from my vantage point, you know, I would I'd be out and I'd be like, holy fuck, that's Peter Tork. I would like instantly recognize a monkey anywhere, right? And and I remember Peter telling me when I was talking to him in the. Uh, that first time in the car and I was asking and uh, and he you know and he was like he goes to put it in perspective on how huge the reunion was for us you know the MTV revival and he's like I made more money in that period than I made when I was on the show he's like that's how big that was I think he's the guy that loved music more than any of them Peter never built a life that didn't involve music. Music was a part of Peter's life every day. And, and there was never a period of his life when he wasn't performing, whether it was with the Peter Tork Project or Release or Shoe Suede Blues. He was always finding a way to get out there and perform. And and ultimately, he's he's the only one of the four that that's true of, you know. And it it is kind of a tragedy of sorts that, he is so underrepresented in the pantheon of monkeys material. Though you've played at love and lost and sorrows turned your heart to frost, I will melt your heart again. Remember the feeling as a child when you woke up and morning smiled. It's time you felt like you did then. Come with me, I'll take you where the taste of life is green And every day holds wonders to be seen Come with me, leave yesterday behind And take a giant step outside your mind You stare at me in disbelief You say for you there's no relief but I swear I'll prove you wrong Don't sit here in your lonely room Just staring back in silent gloom That's not where you belong 
There's just no percentage in remembering the past. It's time you learn to live again at last. Come with me, leave yesterday behind, and take a giant step outside your mind. Of life is green, and every day holds wonders to be seen. Come with me, leave yesterday behind, and take a giant step outside your mind. Come with me, leave yesterday behind, and take a giant step outside your mind, outside your world. I'm very lucky in what I do that I get to meet a lot of famous people. I get to meet a lot of bands that I really like. And sometimes you meet a band you really like and you kind of wish maybe you hadn't. And uh, that was absolutely not the case with Peter. And then after that, when his show was over, uh, I can't remember if his mother, I believe his mother passed away like the show was on a Saturday and I think she passed away like the next day. And cause he was like, can you help me get a flight home early? And so I did. And then I shot him an email because I had gotten his, his personal email address and I shot him an email address later on to just say, Hey, I'm really sorry about what happened. And hopefully, you know, you know, my condolences and all that. And then after that, we just kind of maintained an email relationship and we would email back and forth sometimes. And, uh, and then a few years later, he sent an email and invited me to his uh, to his birthday party. He was having a birthday party. It was a milestone birthday. He referred to it as a rock and roll milestone birthday because it was his 64th birthday. So when he when you're when I'm 64, right, like that matters if you're a rock guy. And so uh, he invited me to his home in Connecticut to go to his birthday party. And uh, uh, my ex-wife, who I have very few nice things to say about, uh, <laughs> was to her eternal credit, money was very tight at the time, and she was like, Tom, your favorite band just asked you to go to one of their birthday parties. She's like, we just, we'll put it on a credit card and just go. And so so I flew to Connecticut and got to go to Peter's Tor- Peter Tork's house for his birthday, which was just this wonderful, like, super old house in Connecticut. It was built in, like, the 1700s. And being from the Midwest, it was so alien to me. I'm like, so is this house like a historical landmark? And he's like, oh, no. He's like, you can't swing a dead cat in Connecticut without hitting a house from the 1700s. He's like, nobody cares. But it was such a it was such a great evening. Uh, Just, uh, you know, he he would he would sit around and he like, you know, the the video that's been going around of him playing, uh, just sitting on a couch playing till then on a couch. That's what the evening was. It was just. Him sitting there putting on a little private show for his friends because he loves to play. The dude just loves music and he loves to play. It was just such a great evening to watch him up close performing like that. And then uh, I got to work with him a couple time, more times over the years. Uh, I booked Shoe Suede Blues. Pretty much every time they came to St. Louis, I either was the one booking them or I found them a gig. I know, I believe the last time he came to St. Louis... They had a date booked close to here, and they 
they always look for what they call routed dates, which you get the kind of anchor date that's paying you good money, and then they can take some dates that if they don't pay as much money, that's okay because they're just trying to justify going to that region. And so he emailed me and was like, hey, could you help me find a routed date? I know you know people, and uh, we're going to be like, I forget, like Springfield, Illinois or something, like you know, 150, 200 miles from here. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so I made some phone calls, and I found a place that would book them on like a Monday or Tuesday, which is like the worst day of the week for a concert. But I found I found a date for him, and he came in and 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 did his shoe suede blues show for people, and and was really nice. It's like I always just thought I w- it was like a favor. He was like, hey, can you help me out with this? Because you know people in St. Louis, and I was like, absolutely. So I go and I watch the show and I hang out with him for a little bit. And as I'm leaving, and I think this kind of shows you the guy Peter Torg is. As I'm leaving, uh, Peter says, hey, thanks so much for all your help. I really appreciate it. And he's like, I don't know that we would have been able to do the other show if we hadn't gotten this show. So I really appreciate it. And he, I go to shake his hand and he like he puts money in my hand. And I'm just like, what are you doing? And I was like, I didn't do this for money. I'm like, you just you just need a favor. And he's like, nope. He's like, you booked a show for us. And the guy that books a show gets 10%. So here you go. And never had been discussed. We never signed a contract. It was always just, hey, could you help me out? And and then it was, uh, it was just, I think it's a testament to who he is. And then ever since then, whenever I would go to, uh, when the Monkees did the first tour with Micah, I went up to see him in Minnesota, and he was kind enough to let me come backstage and say hi, and and uh, I helped him find some uh, some extra assistance when they were at Wizard World in St. Louis. So it was just really nice, and uh, Peter was always, I feel, nicer to me than he ever needed to be, and I will forever be grateful for that. And it can really be disillusioning to meet your idols and bands that you're just an uber fan of and I feel forever fortunate that I did not have that experience and he was always exceedingly gracious whenever I reached out to him he was always willing to to help he came and played a show for a little community picnic that I helped my mom put together uh and he came and played it at a at a reduced rate because it was for me and uh, and the, you know, the first time he came to town where it was just him and Mickey, uh, you know, he let me bring my mother-in-law backstage so she could meet him and she was just beside herself and he was always willing to do that. And ultimately he didn't really have a lot of reason to treat me that way. Like, you know, and, and he still did. And I will forever be grateful. The, probably the last real communication I had with him is when they're, uh, when his, uh, what is now his final CD came out the the lead belly one that that just came out uh, it just showed up in the mail like I didn't even know he email, well he, I guess I knew it was coming because he emailed and asked for my for my mailing address but it showed up in the mail with a lovely note that was just like it says hey Mr. O'Keefe I I you know here's my new album uh, I hope you like it even if you don't we're still friends love Peter that's honestly that's the last message I ever got from him because I knew he was ill, but I felt weird reaching out. Like I never wanted to over assume how f- the nature of our relationship. Because I know he has so many people coming at him for things. So I just kind of tried to give him a space. So that's probably the last actual message I got from him, which was uh, a very nice one. And I still have the the CD and of course the note.
I think at his core, he was just a really nice guy, and he just wanted people to be nice to each other. And he loved music. He just positively loved it, and he was never happier than when he was performing it. And uh, and I'm glad that, that he got to do it both as a monkey and as a bluesman. It's it's sad to think that I'm I'm never gonna get to to uh to see him again. And not just as a performer, but as a guy. And like I always hesitate to say Peter Tork was a friend. Not because I don't like him. It just because like I don't want to be overly familiar, but then at the same time, I don't want you know, I would also hate for him to think, dude, I thought we were friends. Why would you not say I was your friend? And it was, and my wife knows that I always struggle with that. And when we were cleaning up the house because she had some family came over, you know, we found the CD that he sent, and she pointed out the note to me, and I had forgotten what it said. And uh, sorry, and she was just like, "He was your friend," and that's in his words. Sorry, you know, she's like, "He was your friend," because he said it. He used those words. And uh, that was really nice, you know. I would just want to thank Peter for the years of entertainment. I know that sometimes he struggled with the box being a monkey put him in. And I hope that he knows how much immense joy he brought to people, both as a monkey and as a solo act. And and I do think he came to grips with that over the years and, and really came to embrace uh, how much people loved what they created. Because what they created is so much better than it had any right to be. And if anyone thinks just any four guys could have done that, they are kidding themselves. And if I was standing on a podium in front of Peter's family, I would say uh, he was a great artist. He was a nice man. And thank you for sharing him with us, because I'm sure it wasn't always easy. It ain't your fault, babe. Go ahead and do what you gotta do. It ain't your fault, babe. But you don't love me like I love you. Ain't your fault, baby, that I'm so blue. No, you don't like it much. You say it's a crying shame, but you didn't do anything wrong, my baby. Nobody's to blame. Ain't your fault, baby. That you don't love me like I love you. It ain't your fault, baby, that I'm so blue. I know you don't want to hurt me. You'd even take it on yourself. But you don't do anyone any good putting your own life on the shelf. It ain't your fault, baby. That you don't love me like I love you It ain't your fault, baby 
that I'm so blue. to do is to uh, make it as a blues pop musician on my own. Step by step, all the happy saints go marching in. Every saint step out of line, they got to start again. Cause Jacob's golden ladder is slippery at the top. Many a happy-go-lucky saint has made that long, long drop. If I'm late, don't wait. Go home without me. I'm mean to know Before I go How come the devil smile If I'm late Don't wait Go on me I may tarry a while cause I mean to know before I go how come the devil smile
from care, free from fear, the saints come trooping in. Children play all around the throne, innocent of sin. A trillion voices sing the name, the mortal may not know. Heaven's walls too high to hear, the troubles down below. If I'm late, don't wait, go on without me. I may tarry a while, cause I'm mean to know that before I go, how come the devil smiles? Up next is Julia Herzog. Julia is a DJ and she got a chance to interview Peter Tork and she's going to share this interview that was kind of never really heard before unless you were listening to it live on the radio at the time. So here it is, Peter Tork talking about Shoe Suede Blues, something that he loved very much. Hey Zilch, Julia Herzog here, also known as JJ. It was the summer of 2012, and I just found out that Peter Tork, along with Shoe Suede Blues, was coming to my town. At the time, I was entering my last year of college at Oakland University in Auburn Hills, Michigan. As a lifelong Monkees fan, I thought it would be great to try to have him on my college radio show, The Jam and Jukebox. I just didn't think it would happen. It is a conversation I will never forget. It was such a fun day. The following is the interview that aired. We talked about Peter's passion for the blues, his band, and even did a little monkeying around. Gypsy woman told my mother Before I was born You got a boy child's coming Gonna be a son of a gun Make pretty women Run, jump, and shout And the world won't know What it's all about Cause I'm Play the guitar. 
Don the Conqueror Gonna mess with you Make you pretty women Lead me by the hand Then the world will know I'm your hoochie-coochie man Cause I'm here Everybody knows I'm here I would like to welcome you on to the Jam and Jukebox. Jam and Jukebox? <laughs> it's my radio show. Hooray for Julia's radio show. So, of course, everybody knows you're a member of the Monkees, part of the 60s TV show. But we're here to talk about your blues band that you formed, Shoe Suede Blues. Yeah, I was actually, originally I was a member of the band. It was a, three of us formed it together and played around quite a little bit before we realized that we were actually a band and that we liked doing it and, and started, you know, getting a little bit better organized. We're not nearly organized well enough yet, but we have hopes of getting organized enough one day. Uh, but we're organized enough to get to Bay City. Exactly. You got your Bay City show coming to Michigan at uh-huh. the State Theater September 8th at 7.30 p.m. Go out and support Peter right, and, and bring your money because they won't let you in without it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you answered my first question, how you got together with Shoe Suede Blues. Actually, the thing is that when we started off, we thought of ourselves as a band and not, not as, you know, Peter Tork and the band. But the other guys, uh, there was, you know, just parting of the ways with one thing and another. And I'm the only original member left. And everybody looked around and said, no, we got to call it. Actually, it was the band who suggested we call it Peter Tork and Shoe Suede Blues. It used to be just Shoe Suede Blues or the Shoe Suede Blues Band. And I, I went, oh, all right, you know, because, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not oblivious to the possibility that it makes a difference, but I've always thought of this as a band, pretty much. Um, not as much as it used to be. It's, it's now pretty much my thing, although I do rely on my guys, God knows. Got such a wonderful guitar player. I was just listening to this uh, CD we're working on. We won't, uh, I don't think we're going to have it, we're not going to have it fully produced. I might just bootleg myself some <laughs> deal as, as uh, party favors. Well, you know what? I actually had a question further on down the list about if you were working on any projects or any yeah. new albums. <laughs> we have a name for it. It's called Step by Step, which is the name of one of the songs on it. And somebody pointed out it was a joke about shoes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the name, Shoe Suede Blues. Thanks it's, a lot. It's I, that's cool. another thing. I, I said that as a joke. Here's a funny name for a band. I went away for a while, and the yeah. band members said, that's the name of the band. <laughs> and I went, oh, I don't know about this. a little awkward. It's a little of this, a little of that. But that's, you know, but that was, it was the vote. It was two yep. to one. I've been trying to practice Shoe Suede Blues, not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, well, you, once you get good at saying Shoe Suede Blues, it's very difficult to, to, to name the up. song that it was derived from. Yeah. You know, Shoe Blade... Uh, Blue sushi, that's it. So how did you get into the blues? Why were you so intrigued by that style of music, I guess? You know... It's always been something. I, I, I was just in the folk world once, and this guy, a very good musician, uh, just sang a blues note. And suddenly, man, you know, it's just like, wow, just grabbed me, turned me around. The thing about the blues is that it's created by and for people who didn't have much left to lose. And at its best, there is such 
uh, sympathy and heart in it. And, you know, the world of people who have something left to lose is a world of people who keep separate from each other to at least just, I mean, that's a, a large part of what they do. I'm afraid you're going to take what I've got or I won't get what I want or something, you know, that, that the material world is the more important part of their aspect or still a very important part of their aspect. And, and the blues is about, well, yeah, sure, material is very important, but sometimes you just run out of stuff. There's just nothing left. And uh, where are you going to be then? There's one son that goes, you know, I'm standing here trembling, got no place to go. Woman I've been loving for five years threw me out in the ice and snow. <laughs> wow! Just like, that is bad. That's bad. And, you know, that got nothing left to lose. No place to go. Just shivering in the cold. You know, you go, oh, my God. And you sing the song, not because you want to get, not because you're asking for sympathy and not because you're trying to, you know, tell everybody how bad your life is, but because everybody else who is aware that ultimately there is nothing left to lose. The cosmic level, there's nothing left to lose. And those songs put you in remembrance of that and bring you into the community of people who are not hiding anything, who are not grasping onto anything. They put you in the company of people who don't have much left to lose. It's much more human in that world, as far as I'm concerned. I think I heard that the first note, somebody sang the blues note. I went, man, that's just exactly right. That's just right. You're just sensitive enough, enough to the music. I was just to hear that that was evolving of a different world. You know, the folk world, most, mostly white, college-educated kids singing, uh, I mean, quite legitimately singing protest songs and, and talking about political situations, but from a place of a certain amount of, of creature comfort, you know. And we weren't doing any blues notes. We were singing on the white keys. The blues is like, not only is it it's somewhat on the black keys, and somewhat it's not on the piano at all. It's, it's in the cracks. Yeah. Some of these notes cannot be reproduced on a piano. You know, they're not there. You know, like, how are you going to bend a string on the piano like you do on a guitar? <laughs> Can't. You know, it just it's just a different take on things. So it's been, since I was a kid, really very young, and it's just been all these years at the blues band, Shusui Blues, and we're not really exactly a blues band. We do some blues. We yeah. do some real blues. Oh, yeah. I've but heard. It's a mixed band. We do some pop blues yeah, and some things course. that aren't even blues at all. But the point is that the band started about, we don't even know for sure, something like 12 or 13 years ago. It was, you know, it wasn't until then that I felt I had the technical ability to convey the musical uh, vocabulary, for one thing. And for another, didn't know what I was thinking, why I love the blues. It's only recently mm -hmm. that I've come to see what I see, what I was saying to you. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until about 12 or, I don't know, a little more than that now, but uh, you know, some serious amount of time ago. And maybe the blues is for older folks. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that's true. What are some of the things that fans can maybe expect from this show? Uh, dancing elephants, <laughs> Royal Canadian Air Force flyby. Oh, you're funny. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> we'll be here all week. We'll be there. You know, we'll be here all night, I guess. Yeah. You know, just the four of us, me, Arnold Jacks. Arnold Jacks is the bass player. Joe Boyle is the guitar player. He's just ferocious. He's just otherworldly. Sturgis Cunningham sounds like some English lord, doesn't it? <laughs> junior it member. Does. Or Mr. Sturgis Cunningham. Cunningham. <laughs> um, it's weirder yet. His first name is really Rupert. Mr. <laughs> Rupert Sturgis Cunningham. Special service. Thank you. Anyway, yeah. Is the drummer. And he can swing. He's got a handle on that on that thing too that see because the other thing about the blues is that it shares with jazz what is otherwise a unique rhythmic structure. As I was learning to play the blues, I was starting to play them into the computer. And, you know, a computer has a thing called where it fixes the time, you know, and, and makes the time rigorous. And so you 
put it to the triplet and it doesn't work. The time isn't on the grid, just like the notes aren't on the piano. So where the normal triplet feel is that, 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 well, you hear that. It sounds like a sounds of John Paul Sousa marching band. Bum, ba 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 bum, Well, the blues is da, 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 And those little things in the triplet area aren't on the triplet. They're not on the third of the beat. They're a little early, just a little early. And that makes the downbeat seem late. Da, 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 very different from a marching band triplet beat. Even if it's the same, you know, the clock, but even if the metronome is at the same setting. Now, all that had to, you know, I had to become familiar with that, I had to fall into my, to, to where the muscle memory was working that way. And, you know, when it's right, when it's working, God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. I tell you, <laughs> these things fall into place. Exactly. And exactly. the joy of this band is that it never doesn't do that, At, even if only for a minute or two, sometimes only a minute or two, sometimes for long periods of time, sometimes over and over again. I just hope, you know, somebody, people get a, a hint of that when they listen. Peter Tork, and you're listening to a Shoe Suede Blues Podcast. 
We'll also be doing monkey songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed that. I did notice that. And you, re- you recorded a, a couple on your some of the Shoe Suede Blues albums. I actually had had something to say that I liked the reworked version, I guess, of Peter's Sake. That was cool with the sitar. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is sake, yeah. awesome for Pete's sake. I have to give the credit for that was my then guitar player, Richard Michaels, who helped me, who was a co-producer with me on that CD. That was so good. Um, he assembled that. He knew where, he, you know, he had some of the, he had a library that had some of these things in it. The jazz trumpet on top, at the top, that was produced by the drummer who got us the recording situation that where we made the record. Why it's called Cambria Hotel is it was made in a recording studio in mm. Cambria, California, where the deal was we recorded for two and a half days, and then at the end of the third day, we gave a performance local and that paid for the ship for the recording so wow that was a great little bit that was a wonderful thing that is a cool story mm-hmm. i just i loved that arrangement i'm like oh my gosh this is like very 60s like for a second i thought i was listening to george harrison yeah right right <laughs> i loved that thank you Oh, you're welcome. And I actually like it better than, than the original Monkey Student. I just love that arrangement. Ah, uh, uh, Yeah, well, the original Monkey Student, you have to remember, those were a bunch of young guys yeah. making their first album. <laughs> um, and we weren't too sophisticated as musicians go in those days. Now, do you have any surprises for this Bay City audience? George Bush? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to put out a little book, a little, just a little pamphlet, you know, about a three-by-five format, maybe 20 pages called This I Know, pages are all going to be blank. So how do you pick these songs that you, you play? Are they just, you just enjoy them? Yep, largely. All uh, right. They come to my attention. A friend of mine wrote a song called Blues for Dessert that had only had the one verse and a bridge. And he recently wrote me and said, I, I could write another verse for the thing. And I said, sure thing. And he hasn't written it yet. So that's not going to be on the next CD unless something happens really quick. There's a song on the new CD, Sally Go Round the Roses, which I was walking down the Greenwich Village streets when I was a very young man. The song is actually, you know, dozens of years old. And somebody had their little transistor radio with the inch and a half speaker tuned to local pop. And Sally Go Round the Roses came on the air. I was transfixed. I was stopped. I couldn't go on because of that song. And every time I've heard it since, it's just been so long in my mind. Had to do it. So that's on the new CD coming up. We're fans of the late, great Louis Jordan, who wrote uh, or or made popular a lot of songs that uh, B.B. King has in his repertory. Mm. One called Caldonia, which is just a grand, funny song, you know. And he did a song called Blue Light Boogie, and we're doing that just because we love the, the beat. Like that, the, mm-hmm. the great big pickup like that, which is unusual. And it's just, we, you know, the bass player Arnold Jacks loves that stuff, and he's just been so enthusiastic about that song. That, and I've always liked it, but he's, you know, been lobbying for us to do that song, like lobbying hard. So that's on the CD. song my brother wrote called You Do What You Did. You do what you did, she called you, but you hid, and now it's you, kid, that's calling for help. You heard it here first. <laughs> heard it here first. <laughs> and the jam and jukebox. You have a great voice, by the way. Why, I meant to tell you, you that. <laughs> I've been working on it. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh, when I was listening to some of the stuff, it's like, you know, I'm like, wow, he's so, he's really got a good voice. Thank you. I've been working on it. You know, I had um, I had cancer a little while yeah, ago. Yeah, I heard that, and, and I'm I'm uh, glad and, that that you're doing better. I was better. so scared 
that I was not going to be able to sing afterwards, that I started exercising my voice. Well, good thing. Much, much more regularly than I ever had before. And lo and behold, it got better than it ever was. There you you are. Who would have thunk it? Imagine that. Rehearse and it gets better. Practice. (laughs) Hum. What's wrong with this picture? Yeah. I have, it, I yeah, I have to say, I was listening and I was like, oh my goodness, they did Annie had a baby. Yep. <laughs> you may I'll be th- the only other person I know that knows of that song. <laughs> I, I was floored. Work with me, Henry. Exactly. Work with me, Annie. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, that's oh, our opener. We, we, that's oh, really? what we usually hit with it's that is um, that would be a good opener actually yeah i think so thank you we love to do that. i was just actually, telling I, some people what that song really really means oh well it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything if you, <laughs> you know, look into it you know, i she guess had a baby we, we can't we can't get it on anymore that's you know that's, that's the, the song back in the 50s that was like a big deal thing. yeah now it's, yeah you know, that was now it's current conversation on the news channel yeah. so I'm going to have everybody check out Peter's Facebook page called The Real Peter Torque Official which I like Yep. <laughs> and you always have this cute little section Pete Says where you answer Pete your Pete your fans um, I'll it's hilarious PeterTorque.com uh, yeah PeterTorque.com there's some, some music free yes. for the listening entire Screaming. songs not just snippets no I that's how I listened that's how I got got prepared ah Excellent. Yeah, and make sure that you go out to see Peter at Bay City at the State Theater Saturday, September 8th at 7.30 p.m. Buy your tickets online, I'm sure. What's one of your favorite memories from filming the TV show? Oh, well, there's lots of wonderful little things. We learned a little bit of improv. At one point in the middle, there were some fans on the stage with us, and there was a little bowl of breadsticks, and Davey grabbed a breadstick and broke it over my head. And Mickey looked at him and said, What? Do that again. Davey grabbed another breadstick and broke it over my head. He said, I dare you to do that again. And he grabbed another breadstick and broke it over my head. And Mickey turns to me and says, you're going to put up with that? I grabbed a breadstick and broke it over Mickey's head. There's the variation. So we thought, you know, and I was just feeling like, I know what to do with this one because we'd taken improv <laughs> and I got the riff. Switch the joke. Obviously, Davey's the person you should be breaking the stick over because he's the one who's doing all, but Mickey's the instigator. So <laughs> <laughs> he has to suffer the consequences. And like that, you know, being able to actually do things like on the fly, just, you know, there was We just did this spontaneously, like we thought this routine up. And the great story of uh, we were out filming, uh, we didn't even know each other, had just met. We were on the road out to the desert to do a commercial. We pull into a lunch counter and order lunch, and my salad comes first, and Mickey's salad comes in, and we stick. And the way I ate salad, I stuck the fork in the bowl, and whatever comes up on the fork goes into my mouth. Davey says, you pigs. Mickey, too. You pigs, anyone would think you was raised in a barn the way you guys is eaten. Very shamefully, uh, shamefacedly, I pulled out, picked out all those little things. His salad comes, and he thanks the waitress and takes his knife and fork and cuts the salad into one-inch strips. All eyes are on him, you can bet. And he turns the bowl 90 degrees, cuts the salad into one-inch squares, the strips into squares, douses the salad with blue cheese dressing until each and every little one-inch square is oh, sopping man. with it. Grabs a fistful of it and smashes it in his face. Oh, oh, that's funny. So, yeah, oh. you go, okay, this guy's funny. This guy's funny. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And recently, I'm sure you know of this, but there was a photo that surfaced. I saw it on Facebook, I think taken by Mickey, and Jimi Hendrix was in it. I went, 
what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jimmy opened for the monkey. I so. had no idea. I had to, I had to research, so I, w- I wanted to ask. 1967 World Tour, right? Uh-huh. He did about seven shows. Yeah. With How did that even became, happen? Well, it became obvious, you know. Yeah. And the, the girls probably didn't, yeah. We want the monkeys. We want the monkeys. I would be like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, right. Me too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. But how did how'd that even happen? I'm so curious. We saw him at, at Moderate, Moderate Pop Festival. Oh, yeah. And Mickey said, we got to get this guy on, on, on Okay. He just, you know, walked around and did all the things it took to make it happen. Wow. Um, That's pretty and, cool. <laughs> um, and it was great, great meeting Jimmy, great hanging with him, great uh, playing with him. He was just wonderful. Wonderful musician, wonderful human being, one of the greats. Oh, yeah, one of my favorite great, guitar great, players great. of all time, if uh-huh. I had a name, of course. There will never be a better rock guitar player. Oh, there yeah. Just never will be. Yep. That's all there is to it. He just swamped the post <laughs> in a massive, unreplicable way.
Well, thank you so much for calling. I have to say quickly, congratulations, actually, on getting back together with the monkeys. Uh, thank you. I'm excited. So it's good to talk to you. Oh, thank you. You should come to Michigan with the monkeys. I, I think you're close. I there was an Ohio and an Illinois performance, Cleveland, not quite right, Cleveland. Michigan. I mean, it's, it's within driving distance. Well, come fly. Yeah, maybe I will. All righty, Julia. Thank you so much, Peter, for giving me a call. Take care of yourself. So good luck on your show. Everybody go out, see Shoe Suede Blues coming up Saturday at the State Theater in Bay City, September 8th. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I think we're all here for the same purpose. Uh, there's a Zen master who addressed his, his crowd as bodhisattvas, meaning everybody's come back just to show the way. Everybody is here to show the way. So there's no difference among us. I, there's no karmic scaling here. There's no better or worse, you know. Actually, the basic thing that keeps me safe and secure is no distractions. As long as nobody's in my face or jumping around or, you know, I'm in any kind of particular danger, I'm pretty safe and secure all the time. I guess I feel a little bit more of that on a massage table. I was uh, doing an interview once and they asked me if there's any last words I wanted to do and I said, be a hero to yourself. And it kind of just popped out of my mouth. But the more I think about it, the more I like it, the more real it becomes to me. Being a hero to yourself means that one, me, you, is in charge of one's own life. There's so much goes on, people say, who do you think you are? And who I think I am is who I really think I am. And I get to operate from that basis and not on the basis of what you want from me or what you think is better for me to be or do. I know that what you want from me is important to you, but it doesn't constitute an emergency on my part. I get to be a hero to myself. I recommend it. I got to meet Peter Tork one time. I was blessed to be invited backstage by him on the Good Times Tour, and it's something that I'll never forget. Someday I'll tell you all that story. But right now I want to say thank you for Peter Tork for taking the time to see the value in us and seeing the value in the Zilch show. I really have nothing all that amazing to say except this. Peter Tork, we love you. We thank his family for sharing him with us. We thank his friends for sharing him with us. He said it well when he helped write the phrase, we were born to love one another. It's something that can be found in almost every faith and almost every dream. A better world where we could love one another as it should be. Thank you for seeing that world when many of us couldn't, Peter. We're still looking for it right there along with you. We are born to love one another better world is coming if we live as we believe. Be a hero to yourself. Thank you for leaving us with so many mantras and so many well wishes and so much love. And thank you for the music and the smiles. We'll see you on the next episode of Zilch. We'll get back to monkeying around. But it was important to do these shows. I want to thank you all for being out there and supporting us. Be kind to one another. Love one another. See you next time. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Burr. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.